But James doesn't only say that prayer is powerful. He says it accomplishes much. That phrase refers to an ability to get things done. Prayer is not merely wishing. It's not an exercise in futility. It's not just talking to the ceiling. True prayer is not simply something we do merely to calm ourselves down. When we go to prayer, we go to work. You've probably heard of decorative weapons. They're weapons that look like the real thing, but they don't work. An actor might use this kind of weapon as a prop in a play. Obviously, there's a great deal of difference between a decorative weapon used in a play by an actor and a weapon used by a soldier in a war. Prayer is not a decorative weapon. Weapon. It's not a sword branded about by an actor in a play. Prayer is an Uzi, a powerful weapon used by a soldier in the midst of a war. It works. As John Piper explains, prayer is not the walkie-talkie on the battlefield of the world. It calls on God for courage, Ephesians 6.19. It calls in for troop deployment and target location, Acts 13.1 through 3. It calls in for protection and air cover, Matthew 6, verse 13, Luke 21 and verse 36. It calls in for firepower to blast open a way for the word of God, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3. It calls to God for the miracle of healing for the wounded soldiers, as in James chapter 5 and verse 16. It calls to God for supplies for the forces, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 11, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, and it calls to God for needed reinforcements, Matthew 9, verse 38. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would thrust forth laborers into his harvest field. And it calls for needed reinforcements, Matthew 9, and verse 38. And Matthew chapter 9 and the whole end of the chapter. This is the place of prayer on the battlefield of the world. It's a wartime walkie-talkie for spiritual warfare, not a domestic intercom to increase the comforts of the saints. It is one of the reasons it malfunctions in the hands of so many Christian coal soldiers because they've gone AWOL. They've canceled out and they've stopped praying. The point of prayer is not fiction. 
It is not a fantasy. It's a big, long game, which is really involved in action. It's not merely fiction. It is not a fantasy. It is not a long game of make-believe. It's not sitting in a corner wearing a little orange robe and chanting to yourself. It's reality. That's what James is telling us. Prayer accomplishes things. Prayer gets things done. Austin Phelps explains, prayer is one of the most downright sturdy realities in the universe. Right in the heart of God's plan of government is lodged as a power. Amidst conflicts which are going on in the evolution of that plan, of God's plan, it stands as a power unto all the intricacies of divine working and the mysteries of divine degree, prayer reaches out silently as a power. In the mind of God, we may be assured the conception of prayer is no fiction, whatever man may think of it. It has, and God has determined that it should have, a positive an appreciable influence in directing the course of human life. It is, and God has purposed that it should be, a link of connection between the human mind and the divine mind, by which through God's infinite condescension we may actually move the will of God. It is, as God has decreed, there should be a power in the universe as distinct, as real, as natural, and as uniform as the power of gravitation or of light or of electricity. Here in James chapter 5, verse 16, it's as if James is talking to us and taking us to the toolbox. He's showing us what's in the toolbox. In that toolbox, there's a tool that many of us overlook because it doesn't look to us like much. Craftsmen, and we think we're craftsmen and that it doesn't look like it's really that powerful. And we need to realize that although this little tool might not look like much, to us at least, it contains great power. It carries a gigantic punch, and it's useful in any and every circumstance. It will help you get things done in a way that no other tool can. Prayer is effective, James says, and can accomplish much. Believer, it's so important that you give prayer its proper place in your life. Truth is often 
like a narrow path with cliffs on both sides. It's easy to fall off into the air on one side or the other. That's true when it comes to prayer and understanding what James is talking about. There are some who might read this chapter and think that prayer is like magic. By prayer, I can control God. I can change the mind of God. Hey, James says prayer is effective and can accomplish much. If that's the power James is talking about, is James is saying that by prayer, you can somehow force God to do what you want him to do. You can be sure I would not be pleading with you to pray. Because if that were true, prayer would not be a privilege. Prayer would be dangerous. It would be like giving a loaded gun to a little child. Like one professor puts it, I would frankly confess that if I really thought I could change the mind of God by praying, I would abstain. I would have to say, How can I presume with the limitations of my own mind and the corruptions of my own heart, how can I presume to interfere in the counsels of the Almighty? It is almost as if you were to introduce somebody who is utterly ignorant of electronics to a weapons plant in which by pushing certain buttons, He could cause an explosion. You say, go ahead and push the buttons. Never mind what happens. Oh, no. There's comfort for the child of God in being assured that never mind what happens is not what God says. We're not in danger of precipitating explosions by some rash desire on our part. God is not our little genie in a bottle. When James says there's power in prayer, he's not saying prayer can accomplish changing the mind of God. But the problem is that others hear the statement that prayer accomplishes much the prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And they go to the opposite extreme. They think, well, if I can't change the mind of God, why pray? I thought you said there was power in prayer. That's the point of praying. Prayer doesn't change things. Stop there, because if you say that, at prayer... Through prayer, nothing can be changed. If you say that, you've gone too far. You've fallen off the other side of the cliff. Remember how I said you've got to give prayer its proper place? Prayer does not change the mind of God, but God changes things in response to our prayers. That's what James means when he says prayer is effective and can accomplish much. 
it is a force. It does do something. You see, God has established in his word that prayer is one of the means he uses to accomplish his will here on this earth. And so we come to this passage and we say, God ordained what would happen and he also ordained how it would happen. And he happens, it happens in connection with our prayers. Now that sounds a little bit mystical, but I want to use an illustration. If I looked up my Bible in the air above my head, I know God is in control of all things. So I can say God has ordained that this book should be here in this particular place above my head. He must have ordained it because that is where my Bible is. But, and here's the key, God didn't ordain for my Bible to mystically and magically rise in the air all by itself. He ordained that my Bible would rise in the air because I lifted it there. And so God ordained what would happen, and he also ordained how it would happen. No one, at least no one who was thinking would say, why lift your Bible? Because if God wants it to rise into the air, he will do it without your hand, without you lifting it up. No, we all understand that God uses certain means to accomplish his purposes like a hand lifting a Bible. Things happen where God not only ordains the end, but the means to the end. In other ordains that the sun should warm the earth, but that the sun should be warm, and as a result of the warmth of the sun, the earth is warm. This is what you need to understand about prayer. Prayer is one of the means that God has ordained to cause things to happen. So you cannot say, why pray? If I don't pray, it will happen anyway. That'd be like saying, why lift your Bible into the air? You don't lift your Bible into the air, it'll still happen anyway. No, it will not. God has ordained that certain things happen because of certain things that are accomplished. And God has ordained that certain things should happen because they happen in connection with prayer. You see that even here in James. Here you've got a guy who was sick in James chapter 5. James doesn't say that God is just going to Heal this guy. James says that the elders need to come over and pray and anoint him with oil and God will raise him up. God uses certain means to accomplish the healing. If this man is healed, he can't say he would have been healed even if he had not prayed. No, no. Because he doesn't know that. 
And God makes it clear that there's a means that he is going to use to heal this person. And the means is prayer. Verse 15 says, The prayer of faith, the prayer offered in faith, will restore the one who is sick. And so, the means by which God heals this person includes your prayers. The prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. Now certainly there's a mystery to all of this. We can't fully understand how it all works. But just because we can't fully understand how it all works does not mean we should start denying that that is how God says it does work. When you turn on a light, most of us do not fully understand all that's happening there. But just because we don't fully understand doesn't mean we don't flip the switch. We don't understand how our voice can get all the way across the country in an instant by way of radio, by way of television, or how my voice can come out of this podcast. We may not fully understand how that happens, but we believe it does, and so we do it. We may not fully understand how prayer works, but we know God says it does, and so we have faith in that, and we keep turning on the light switch, we keep picking up the phone, we keep up praying, because we know God knows more than we do. And he has said that one of the primary means he uses to accomplish his will is prayer. You look at scripture and you see that prayer is one of the means God used to deliver his people to rescue them. It's one of the means God has used to deliver his people in the book of Exodus which is the story of Israel's great escape from Egypt. God does some amazing things in that book of Exodus. It's interesting to know where it all started. It started back in Exodus 2, where Israel is enslaved in Egypt. They're being persecuted mercilessly. And there are two neat little verses in chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, which says, And now it came about in those days that the king of Egypt died. And it came about in those days that Israel sighed because of their bondage. And they cried out, they prayed, and their prayer for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groanings and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the sons of Israel and God took notice of them. God stopped, stepped in to deliver his people because his people 
through prayer, reminded him of his promise. And how about Jonah? Jonah's in the belly of a whale or a big fish. You get that? He says in Jonah 2, I called out in my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, and you did hear my voice. Prayer is one of the means God has used to provide physical blessings to his people. I think especially of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. She is so sad because she's unable to have children. So she goes to the temple and she cries out to God in prayer. And God hears her prayer and she has a child. And she explains how this happened in verse 27. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I've asked of him. Why did Anna have this child? She says it was because God heard her prayer. And prayer is one of the means God has used to provide spiritual blessings to his people. Cornelius, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 10, is a good example of this. Cornelius was a devout man, but he didn't know all he needed to know. He had an inadequate understanding of God. Nonetheless, he was devoted to prayer, and God heard his prayers, and God sent Peter to proclaim the gospel to him. Do you know why that happened? An angel said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. That's Acts chapter 10, verse 31. By the way, I think there's a good answer to those who say, what about those people out there who don't have the gospel? If they, like Cornelius, are truly seeking God, and crying out to him, God hears their prayers. If you want to know what prayer can accomplish, Paul is a good real-life illustration. He's constantly pointing out the power of prayer. For one, when you observe most of his letters, you notice that he begins, look, I'm constantly praying for you. Praying for what? Spiritual fruit. Growth in love, praying for change, praying for people to really become like Christ. Now, obviously, Paul couldn't do that. He couldn't, in his own strength, make them like Christ, make them believe, bring them to repentance. No, he believed prayer worked. And so he says, I think... God for this. Thank God that he answered my prayer. And why does he thank God? Because he knows that the change in the lives of people was due to God's work in their hearts. Sometimes I get discouraged when I look at my life or I talk to people because the truth is people by themselves do not really change all that much. You know you're stuck 
in the same habit for a long period of time. And you wonder what you can do. Well, there's hope. Because God does hear our prayers. And he does answer our prayers. And he's able to truly transform someone from the inside out. And when you read Paul's prayers, you see that. Paul Paul points out another thing he believes prayer is able to do. He says in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3, Pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to be preached, that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. Paul is saying prayer can accomplish something here. God can use prayer to open up opportunities to share the gospel. He says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1, Pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you. If you want the word of God to spread, to be glorified, if you want the word of God to do what you need it to do, then pray, because God can use prayer to do just that very thing. We must never minimize the importance of prayer. We must pray that our voices would be heard. James knows that we might be tempted to minimize the power of prayer. So he gives us a striking illustration in chapter 5 and verse 17 to prove his point. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain on the earth three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Those of you who don't think prayer can accomplish much, those of you who feel hopeless and feel like all is lost, you need to remember Elijah. Elijah prayed. God heard his prayers and stopped raining for three and a half years. And then he prayed again and it started raining. Did you get that? If James is saying anything, he's saying that God can use one man's prayers to accomplish big, great, huge things like controlling even nature. But you say, hey, I'm not Elijah. I'm nobody important like Elijah. Well, you can't look at this illustration and say that. It was just because Elijah was somebody and we're nobody, because the whole point of James is that Elijah was just like us. That's what he says. He was a man just like us, and he prayed, and God heard his prayer, and it stopped raining, and then he prayed again, and it did rain. I thought even the most Minute circumstances concerning the orphanage house, Mueller might say, before the Lord, I brought them to the Lord in my petitions. And the fact that the orphan orphanages were supplied with food and with staff was because of prayer. 
I was conscious of my own weakness and my ignorance. But God hears the prayers of righteous people. And so Mueller ran the orphanages with an attitude of complete dependence upon God. Story after story illustrates his humble attitude. For example, in November of 1838, he didn't even have a single half penny to pay for food for any one of the three orphan houses. What did George do? He didn't get anxious, but rather he took the matter to his father in prayer. He was confident that God would provide, and even though at that point he didn't know how. He began to walk home after praying with his staff, and since he felt he needed exercise, he took the long way home, and he met a friend who gave him enough money to cover what they needed at the orphanage houses. It gave him enough to meet their needs. If George had been one minute late, he would have missed that man. George always depended upon God, and God always provided. Now this attitude gave George great hope and confidence. He writes, They that trust in the Lord will not be confounded. Some who help for a while may fall asleep in Jesus. They may die and can't give anymore. Others may grow cold in their service of the Lord and not be interested in supporting. Others may be desirous as ever to help, but no longer have the means to help. We cannot lean upon man, George Mueller said. If we were leaning upon man, we would be confounded. But in leaning upon the living God alone, we are beyond disappointment. And beyond being forsaken because of death, because God won't die. Or because of a lack of means, because God won't lose his job. Or because of God lacking love, because God's love is everlasting. Or because of the claims of other work. How precious to have learned in any measure, says George Mueller, to stand with God alone in the world and yet to be happy and to know that surely no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. George often demonstrated his absolute trust in God. There was one time when a rich man and some of his female friends were visiting the orphanages. They were amazed at the care that the orphans were receiving. They looked at George and asked him if he had a large bank account so he could provide for all of these orphans. And George simply answered, Our funds are deposited in a bank which cannot break. This was quite a statement, as at that moment, George didn't have a penny to provide for the children. George longed for all believers to depend upon God entirely. He didn't want anyone to think that his situation was unique. Instead, he constantly exhorted Christians to take all their concerns to God in prayer. 
He often told Christians to take everything to God in prayer and to expect answers to requests they made according to the will of God, 1 John 5 and verse 14, and that they make in the name of Jesus. Well, we live in a day and age where it's easy to forget our dependence upon God. We have credit cards. We have money in our bank accounts. We have food in our refrigerators. But we must never substitute dependence upon human things for dependence upon God. We need to train ourselves to have an attitude of dependence. Mueller brought everything before God in prayer. Too often, due to laziness or lack of faith, many Christians pray only in generalities. They don't want to expect too much from God. Mueller's prayer life stands in stark contrast to this kind of attitude. Mueller prayed to God about financial matters. There were times when Mueller had not a penny in hand and 2,000 children to feed, and so he would cry out to God. It's important to note that God took George through many difficult times. We must not get the idea that life was always easy for this man of God. There were times when he cried to God and God immediately answered. And there were other times when he prayed and God took a long time to answer. Yet he continued to pray. On one occasion, George wanted to buy a certain piece of land on which to build an orphan house. Unfortunately, the owner wanted to sell it at a much greater cost than George could afford. So George went to prayer. He prayed several times a day about this specific issue. And in the providence of God, God answered his prayer and the money came in and he was able to buy the orphan house in which he housed horse, hundreds of orphans and which he was able to feed them. And he says that he did that by prayer, praying to God. And God heard the prayers of George Mueller and the prayers of others who joined with him. And God provided the needs of these orphans, the houses in which they could live, and the staff that would take care of them. So, we can see from all of this that prayer is a great provision that God has made for us. The effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. So, brethren, let's follow the example of George Mueller and believe in God and pray. He confessed his sin. He knew that God heard him not because he was worthy, but because of Jesus Christ. Let us come with that same humble, confessing attitude, trusting in Jesus Christ. Let's seek to be righteous as he would have us be righteous, not only through the imputed righteousness of Christ, but through the imparted righteousness of Christ, where we become righteous in our thinking, in our speaking, and in our living, and in our desires as well. May God help us to understand 
the importance of prayer and use this wonderful means that God has given to us to come to him and to seek his face and to do it for his glory, not for our own benefit alone, not for because it's something that we want just because we want it, but because we want it to bring glory to God. Let us come to God like George Mueller did, not asking that we might spend it on our own lusts and might just satisfy ourselves, but that God might be glorified, that Christ might be exalted, that people in the world might realize that we have a great Savior. May God help us to follow the example of George Mueller in being specific, in being persistent, in being dependent upon God in every area of our lives. Father, help us to remember these great truths. What was true in George Mueller's life was not just true in his life. It was because it's what the Word of God taught. And George Mueller believed the Word of God. Help us to believe the Word of God and understand that prayer is a powerful force He's given to us by which we can come into the very presence of God and God will hear us because of Jesus and God will grant the request if it will glorify him, if it will exalt him, it will cause others to think well of Jesus Christ. We pray that for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen.